Hello, everyone, and welcome to a long-time returning episode of Sheen Partners Podcast, a podcast where two guys are recording a podcast about theater and other arts endeavors. This is Cody, and that is Chris. You know what? I think that's a lost art form, what you just did there. What did I do? That 1950s style of talking. Oh, if that if we're going to call it, I mean, I feel like I could have done a better job if that's really what it was. Well, but you, you know what I'm saying, though? Like, the cadence in which they would talk was oh, always yeah, kind of yeah. like this, and it was kind of broken up in the things that they would say. I do kind of wonder why that is. Like, why did they do announcer voices like that? Do you think it was because of telegrams? It was because of Morse code. I don't know. I'm well, I, don't, drawing I don't know if that, but I do know that the, the mics back in the day would remove the low end. They would come out real thin like. So it was like 10. So everybody talked like they were way up here. Yeah, when really they weren't. But I kind of wonder why the cadence, like that's why I think it's like Morse code. It's like, here we are. We are delivering the message. No, that's just a robot. I don't know. It's <laughs> 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 oh. just like the beep, beep, beeps, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. That's just what I feel like. Or like it's Western Union. It's a Western Union telegram problem. Well, it's interesting because you were talking to someone um, um, when we were just doing a Christmas carol and you talked about the way that they were talking uh, with their lines and they would break it up and then they would say everything real fast and try to hurry up and say the next thing real fast and always have a pause in between what they were saying. And you tried to tell them that's not how you speak. So please stop doing that. Yeah, I wonder if it was just because voiceover hadn't really been around for very long, you know? And it's like, well, I'm just giving you the facts with no emotion because maybe it was like their job to deliver the message and not so much put their own feelings onto it. Possibly, but there were cartoons and voiceover things happening back then, too. Yeah, I'm talking more like announcing in news like maybe oh. they just weren't trying to like they were trying to make it as neutral as possible so they just didn't want because they didn't want any kind of bias yeah possibly i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna say that it came from a good place how are you doing how <laughs> <laughs> was i was Chris, i'm doing well McDowell's how day. about you oh, i'm very good i'm quite well Enjoying all your Christmas festivities? I am. It seems to be flying by, I gotta be honest. Um, and it's it's really nice because I'm off work right now, so this is also really cool. This might be the earliest that we have ever recorded a podcast. Ever. Like, ever, ever, ever. Like, in the day. But for some reason, it's 6 a.m. this morning. I was like, let's go. Let's record this podcast. <laughs> like, we could be having coffee doing this. <laughs> yeah, which so is like, we, we have progressed. Maybe this is just a showing of progression of years. Like, used to, we would just drink bourbon in excess and record and now it's like you want to like have coffee (laughs) you want to do this early so we can just be moving on with the day uh, by the time like six o'clock happens my entire life is just done like i mean the the whole day is over like we can't do anything after six well you have a very structured lifestyle it's very structured at six o'clock going on yeah i don't know if i've ever been in such a routine ever in my entire life Outside of like a stage manager telling me what to do. Yeah. Like, or, you know, a company manager being like, you have to be here at this point and this point, which I got to say is one of the things that I missed the most whenever I wasn't touring anymore was, oh my gosh, I have to make all my own plan. Like, (laughs) 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 because I hate making decisions so much. It was just kind of so nice when there was a company manager being like, you have to be at this place at this time. And then tomorrow we're going to be at this place at this time. And then you're going to eat at this place. It's like, this is great. I love this. This yeah. is amazing. 
I missed that. The, I mean, there were other things that I missed, but I do think that I missed that the most. Well, you have someone literally managing basically every minute of your life. Yeah. And I'm OK with that. Like, I understand that. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Maybe like oh, living yes. under tyranny is the worst. Or no, I shouldn't say maybe. <laughs> like, like living under tyranny <laughs> is the worst. It might be worse than that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, there's something about, like, my decision, or maybe it's just about me that I'm like, please take all of my decision-making away. You know what's interesting? You say that. Um, I was listening to uh, Greta Gerwig do an interview about how when she is directing, she only wears these jumpers, like those, uh, the, like, mechanic-looking suits. Yeah. She only wears those while she's directing because it removes... Oh, she has to make all the other decisions. Yeah, it removes yeah. a decision that she has to make that day. I am so understand that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I totally get that. Which, I mean, I'm sure you can also understand, especially coming off of doing a show. Like, there's... You just... Everyone needs something from you, and you have to make so many calls, and you have to have an answer all the time, and... Even if you don't have an answer, you have to tell them when you will have the answer. So it's it's just like there's a whole lot of things. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you just didn't have to make that call. Yeah. I think maybe that's what it is. I just have to make so many decisions during the day that like by the time if I go someplace like to eat. Oh, my God. Don't ask me what I want to eat. Just bring me some. Please. Yeah. just God, bring me some food. Whatever it is, what it is. Just sit it down. I, I That would be my absolute favorite restaurant. Just to walk in. That's why I love. Well, one of the reasons why I love to go to word of mouth. Um, this really great restaurant in Alexandria for lunch is because the guy who owns it will just make me something when I walk in. Yeah. Because he knows I don't want to make a decision, which is the best. Yeah, and so it's funny. always good. Hey, John, just make me a sandwich. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. <laughs> like at this point, I don't even know if he really even asks at this point. He's just like, I gotcha. <laughs> I do feel a little bad though, because then now I'm making him make a decision when he's having to make a lot of other, but still like, I mean, I am paying for the sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody was questioning that. It's just more like yeah. when you are in charge and you make a thousand decisions a day and then you have another frivolous thing to have to like anything that can be taken off your plate, please take it off. Yes. I don't want to do it. Not at all. Hey, how was Christmas, Carol? It was pretty good. Oh, now that I'm, you know, removed from it, and I don't have it like sitting right there at the the, the back part of my brain. Mm -hmm. But um, it was it was um, it's a huge show. It's a very it, big, it's big it's big massive. Um, and would not have been able to do it without the help of one you for sure, and our stage managers Heather and Sam and costuming done by Amanda. Like it, mm -hmm. it's just like so much of this. Like there's the team of people yeah. that are always, and I think we all work so well together. I mean, we've been working together going on five years plus yeah. now, but I think it's just this beautiful symposium mm -hmm. of wavelengths that we all kind of work on. Where it's like, if I don't know something, I always say, well, that's an Amanda question and she answers it. Or that's a Cody question, which yeah. apparently that's something you and I do all the time. <laughs> Somebody said, why do you and Cody do that? What are you talking about? Well, every time I go ask Cody something, he says, that's a Chris question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it is. Yeah. <laughs> like you're directing that to the wrong person. There's yeah. a, there's a, there's a, a little, there's a chart. Yeah. And there are things that I don't know that I don't have to know. Exactly. This is like I've I've done these other things. If you got questions about those, that's for me. But how did you feel about Christmas Carol? I had a good time. 
(laughs) (laughs) That was one of those, I I don't know. um, Amanda and I were kind of talking about it the other day. And um, because I was just, I I called her to do, uh, you know, just a proof of life check because I hadn't actually spoken to her since Christmas Carol. And it, which is kind of odd, you know, you're in a show and you see people every day, you know, we're, we're all really close. So we mostly are talking in some form constantly. Yeah. In some, some form or another, but I hadn't actually spoken to her since Christmas Carol. And it's been, I don't even know, a week, two weeks, two weeks. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I called her and I was talking to her about it. I said, you know, it just feels strange because I'm like, you know, you're in the show and you love it and you're you're going through all of the, the motions of doing the show. And there was something about this one that it was like, I, I like am at the point where I'm like we're performing it and I'm enjoying it. But I also kind of want it to be over so that I don't have to be worried about stuff anymore. Yeah. But I want to also be performing it because we've gotten like we put in all of the work and we got it to this place that are like, okay, now things are just moving on their own and it's kind of got its own life and it's living and it's gone. It's done. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. I don't have to worry about people anymore. You know, that kind of a thing. And it's and it's chugging along and it's a good story. And so there's a part of me that's like, man, if I had three days to just sleep and then come back and do it again. Like, this would be a lot of fun. And there's another part that's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Let me so just put I, this to bed. Yeah, it's just kind of like, it's strange because you work so hard, you get it to that point, and then you're like, all right, we're doing it, and it's going, and we're finally here, and it's done. Which is also kind of a part of the beauty of it. But, um, I mean, I've I've heard a lot of things from the community that, you know, a lot of people have talked to me about it and have had nothing but really good things to say about their experience, which I think is overall the goal like people understood the story that they enjoyed the way that the story was told um that people left wanting to come back and see more yeah. which is always the hope you definitely don't want people to come see the show and then think i never want to come to this ever again right <laughs> and, and we didn't do that so that was good and you know for um as far as ticket sales go and whether it was like because it is a christmas program or because it was something that you know mm-hmm. we were working on um it was fairly sold most nights yeah I, I was we were really helpful uh really happy like the fox was really happy i should say um who put the show on with how it was sold and you know how well attended it was um you know, the Fox is super close to paying off its debt. So that's kind of a huge thing for it right now. It's, it's, um, when, you know, Lexi took over, it had this very, very large loan that was taken out. Um, and it was defaulted on and it was like $250,000. And she has whittled that down. Her and the board have whittled that down in her time as board president um, now to $8,000. So that is huge. Yeah. Just, you know, for a community our size to be able to have done that in this amount of time feels very short. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I haven't even done that with my student loans. So, I mean, I feel like <laughs> <laughs> and it's just about the same amount yeah. of time. Um, so I feel like, you know, the Fox is doing pretty good. Maybe I should take, I should. So what we've learned is that it takes a team of people (laughs) to pay off the debt. I need a board. (laughs) I need to form 
a nonprofit entity and have a board and fundraisers to pay off my student debt. And we'll put on shows. Yeah, we'll we'll just uh, that's what I should have named Play On. I shouldn't have named it Play On. I should have named it Cody's Student Loans. It's just been like <laughs> Student Loan Theater. Uh, yeah, that would have been awesome. Um, but you know they're really close to paying that off, and so that is very exciting because there are some things at that building that just really need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole lot of daylight that is coming in there. Um, the matinee performance when we were there or doing the matinee, not the matinee, the um the the uh school show that we did um had a little bit more lighting effects than yeah normal. i saw that um so it would be nice if we could you know pay that loan off so that then we could start reinvesting all of that money that over the years was having to be poured into this government loan um can now be poured into the actual building because the building is old the she, actual brick and mortar yes yes the actual brick and mortar like the building is old we're running on to it, it's actually kind of crazy. Like in the light room, we're running on the two original dimmer packs that still work, um, that are over 30 years old for whenever they turned it into a theater. Um, cause it was a movie theater before. Um, so then we're running on those two old dimmer packs and the newest dimmer pack, the DMX chip doesn't communicate anymore with the board. So we don't even use it, you know, and we just completely remove those lights, but, it would be really nice if we could fix that. Yeah. Because I just, every time I go up there and I look at those old dimmer rack, those towers that are in there that Mm -hmm. you have seen now, um, it just, I'm like, Oh God, any day, just please God, don't let this be the day that you don't turn on. Oh my God. Like flip the switch and, Oh, thank you. Yeah, I don't even know what we would do. That just anyway, but it's just nice that we're at a point now where we can start kind of turning that around and and hopefully pouring some money back into it that needs that investment mm-hmm. so bad. Um, so that you know, whenever we do get to a point where we're completely exhausted and we can't do it anymore, that someone else takes it over and it's in a good place. <laughs> they need a good twenty-something year old to take over. Oh my gosh! Just you know, really, I don't. I don't yeah. Yeah, uh, like twenty. Let's go twenty six. Yeah. <laughs> we're not giving. I'm not giving the key to that building to anybody no, no, in no. their early twenties. Um, but anyways, so I'm excited about the future of it, and I think that the Christmas show was like a really good jump start into to to really like paying off the rest of that debt, which I hope is possible. You yeah, know, I don't know what any of the final numbers are for ticket sales or anything like that for the for the theater, but I hope that that happens. Um, I was very hopeful that we would have, you know, somebody watch the show and they would just be like, oh, here's 10 grand, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that hasn't happened. It is kind of wild, It hasn't though. happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. It is kind of wild, though, because I look at the, the grants, you know, kind of in my new position at, at the school that I work at, I look at grants quite often and, and so many times I'll send something to Lexi and I'll be like, hey, what about this grant that's being offered um, for arts organizations? And what about this grant? And what about this grant? And every single time she pretty much has the same response, which is we applied for that. We didn't get it. It went to this other thing. And hmm. it's very confusing to me because we are the only like the Fox is the only theater in Avoyles Parish. And it is the only thing in Avoyles Parish that has 
arts programming for children with the exception of the arts council doing an art camp that is like four days long, I think in the summer and that's it. And it's like how, and it's a historical building. I'm like, how in the world? And then you look at like who the grants are actually going to and what they're being used for. It's like, Oh great. So this place got $60,000 to bring in an artist not oh, not even bring in an artist to bring in an art some artwork to be displayed, and that's it. And they're like, what? <laughs> it's like I get that that's great, and we should definitely do that. But like, what? Like, look at the longevity of your community. Like, who's a, like who awarded that grant, and why? And what were you looking at? Like, look around you, and like, they're just. I don't know. I'm, that's that's probably a soapbox. I don't necessarily. Well, need to get uh, on. that's true. It's just like, why would you pour into something that's going to bring a few people in, but you could pour into something where the whole community kind of benefits from? Yeah, like a lasting thing. Yeah, like here's an investment for the community long term, or here's an investment for a two week period that might get you some media attention, but mm-hmm. in the long run, we know that it won't. Yeah. So these 20 people are going to really love this <laughs> because we're not a, a supremely art centric community. No, it's just, to the greater no. sin law area, central Louisiana. No, I mean like in of oils, we have a whole lot of music and we do have a lot of like art that gets generated here. Um, but as far as what the Fox does, it's the only thing yeah. that is like it. And so it's just very interesting that something that is so niche um, that is, not offered anywhere else would be kind of overlooked in my mind because it desperately needs those funds. Yeah. I mean, I could understand if there were like two or three different theaters, but there's not. Yeah, there's nothing. It is, it is really legit. Just us. Um, and it has been for like 30 years. I mean, I would kind of be interested to do like an audit of what grants the Fox have, has ever received. Hmm. And it is interesting because people come in there and they see it for the first time and they're like, oh, well, have you ever thought about, you know, doing this thing or doing this? And it's like, yeah, we have. And we would love to do those things, but we need someone to. Yeah, we need donors. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Like, are you interested? Like, oh, yeah, 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 I'd be interested in doing that. Or it's, you know, it's the thing of, well, have you ever thought about doing this? Like. You ever thought about doing this big musical or this big whatever? And we're like, yeah, no, we've thought about it, um, and it would be great. But are you willing to help us? <laughs> oh man, so much of that. Like we weren't even performing a Christmas Carol, and the question was, well, what are you doing next? Oh yeah, it's always it's like, the next thing in the middle of what you're doing. And then everyone is always making suggestions. It's like this is what it must feel like to be a music minister at a church. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't know about that. Well, you got to play this song instead of this song. We I would really like just, to hear this. Like everybody wants to put in their two cents in a sense. And they also, you know, they want to be a part of it. And there's some some ways of just kind of uh, redirecting the thought process of being like, I'm so happy that these people are excited about what we're doing and they want to know what else we are doing so that they can be a part of it. But in the same vein, there's like, another part of my brain that's saying, yeah, they want to put forward their suggestions, but they don't want to back any of that up with any sort of work and they're not going to show up to help 
and they're maybe going to be there for the show. And if you do all of those things, like we could take, and because this has happened, a show that everybody is saying they want us to do, and then we do it, and it's like, where were you? And they're like, oh, yeah, I missed it. Like, "Mm mm-hmm, you did. (laughs) Then on top of that, you know, I I hear a lot of suggestions on certain shows, and then you got to think, well, who do we have to play those roles? We could fill five of the 12 roles. Well, it's like you always have those people in the community that don't necessarily understand like royalties or how you put on a show or exactly like what it takes. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you should do Wicked. Why can't we do Wicked? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, well, no one can do Wicked. Yeah. Except for the original like company that's putting on Wicked. I mean, yeah. it's like that's they're still touring the show. Yep. In you know, I think it just hit New Orleans not too long ago. Yeah, it's in New Orleans right now, and it's it's like we can't do that because it's not released to regional or community theaters. Like and then it's you not possible. And like, what about Hamilton? Like, who in this oh, community? Yeah. do you want to see do that? Who in any community? Like, they I think they just released it actually for high schools to perform Hamilton. And all I have to say is, <laughs> you've got maybe two high schools in the world. That could probably do that show justice. Yeah. And they, they are few, so few and far between. And like, if I had to go and like I had a student or a relative or friend or whatever, and they were like, oh my God, you have to come see it. We're doing Hamilton this weekend. I would cry. It would be so terrible. And it's not their fault. It's just they're not capable of doing something like that. That's so cruel. I was legitimately about to say. Like, I would yeah, rather watch wanna, Susical. They, they, they want to go. Oh, 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 <laughs> like, oh. At least that would be more in their capability. It's like, yeah, we want to go see. We want to perform Wicked. And you're just thinking. No, you who's don't. Who's singing it? There are plenty. There is some who's YouTube. singing there are some gravity. YouTube productions if you can see of people just ripping the show off and doing it at their school. And it is so terrible. Proof in the pudding. Anyway, it's just live within your means, baby. Like, my <laughs> yes. God. I do not understand. Stay um, in your box. <laughs> yeah. Just just know what... I guess that's why you need certain people, like, in the world to say, this is what we are capable of doing very, very well. Mm-hmm. And this would that would be too much of a stretch for our talent pool. And just because you have one person that could possibly sing those songs... Because I'm sure that we could find someone in our community. We have people that can really sing. Yeah. Doesn't mean that we have everyone. True. And it can't be a one-person show. Anyway, that's not I don't know. They build a lot of shows around Sutton Foster. Yeah, and then we're stuck with them. <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody's trying to fix it. Yeah. Um, hey, I wrote down some things. Okay, I was over here with my little notebook just to get us off the soapbox there. Well, yeah, yeah, and I, I didn't. I you never. I never really know what direction we're gonna go. But True. I, I feel like that was a good twenty-three minute opener. Okay. Um, <laughs> Softball, really good. <laughs> so um, I've been kind of thinking about just in my own little mind, uh, which is where I do most of my thinking. Um, <laughs> I've been kind of thinking about like what it actually is to be an artist and like what that, what that (laughs) entails and how you define it. And so I actually looked up the definition for an artist and the very first definition of an artist is someone who paints basically. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, well, that's not really helping me. And the next one was like... Well, the like, stage is our canvas. Yeah. And then somebody <laughs> else was like... And then the next, it, you know, there's like a sub-definition. And it was like definition two, it was uh, a creative person who creates paintings or photography or film. Like, ugh, I don't like that either. And then the next one was like a person who makes things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to search 12 definitions until I fit into one of these boxes. Whoa, boy. I was like, so it just, but it kind of proved the point in a way that it's just such a broad, like literally you could describe anyone as an artist Mm -hmm. for doing anything at all. And so I just find it very, I, I kind of wish that there was another term to kind of describe it. I mean, like I, I, like you could say you're a theater artist and you know, that, that works. Yeah. Cause if you say performer, then that limits you to just the one thing. Yeah. I mean, I think there were definitely more theater artists, um, because we have to do everything or we get to do everything, but it is not, uh, like, and there are people who are performance artists, but that's also a different thing than acting. Yes. So <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yeah. it just is, it's very difficult to try to figure out like, all right, so basically this thing that's not boxable, how do you put it in a box? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just been struggling with that. I don't really know what, I, I feel like there should be a word for it because I feel like what we do is artistry but is clearly not defined as being an artist. Yeah. And I I don't think most people would think of it as art either. No. The general public. I mean, there are so many other things though that like, I mean, really when you say, when you tell somebody that they're an artist, you're like, Oh, you're a painter. It's not, I'm a photographer. Mm -hmm. It's not, I'm a sculptor. It's not like none of those things ever come into anybody's mind. It is always point blank. Oh, you're a painter. Mm -hmm. So what do you, (laughs) until you get like, Oh, I'm a ceramic artist. Like, Oh, you must do, Ceramic painting. <laughs> so you paint on ceramic? <laughs> no, <laughs> the theater artist. So you it's paint like on you, the stage? Basically, anything that's not that's outside of I'm a painter. You have to be so you have to like spend so much time explaining what it is because mm-hmm. you can't tell somebody like, oh yeah, I throw pottery. Like what? What do you do? It's it's hard because it is sort of this amorphous thing that we do because we're involved in every aspect of what we do. And I, I think that there, I think that you and I both have this control issue too, <laughs> when it comes to, or like I, I said, uh, in, um, a Christmas Carol, uh, that Dow principle of, you know, easy is the path to greatness to the man that has no preferences. Yeah. Well, unfortunately you and I have a lot of preferences. It's mm, true. <laughs> so I just think that, yeah, it's it's a hard thing to pin down mm-hmm. in what it is that we're so passionate about doing. Yeah, like I got a thing for uh for like to go see a Christmas carol in Texas, like this company was doing it. And it was like sent through our play on website and it was like come and come to the uh to the Christmas carol experience. And it never once said come to the show and it was not we're a theater company it was an experience company 
Don't like that. And it was, yeah, I know. And it was like a whole lot of just like everything is an experience. Like the Christmas Carol experience. We're doing this experience is at this time. This experience is at that time. And I'm like, what does it mean? Like for me, I'm like, what am I experiencing? (laughs) And if it's not a show, are you just trying to coin something new so that it feels different like what what exactly are you trying to do are you trying to put a new spin on something we're gonna scare you you into being a better person yeah are you trying to like individualize yourself is this something that we're walking through is this like is this disney world like what is it when i park my car in the parking lot am i immediately greeted by some victorian gentleman given like a waistcoat like what am i what what like is the play this? that goes wrong? <laughs> yeah, like what what is this exactly? Does it start from the beginning? Like when? Anyway, there's just there was a whole lot of questions, and then I realized that you do need specific ways of talking about things because the unknown is kind of scary for somebody who's going to be purchasing a ticket. Mm. Like I wouldn't necessarily want to buy a ticket to that if it was, you know, twenty or thirty dollars because I don't know what I'm getting into. Yeah. And I don't want to waste my time. So in a sense, like them trying to to like make themselves cool and edgy made me be like, nah. I'm good. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drive to Texas anyway and go see this show. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> um so I don't know why they sent it to me to begin with, but it still was like, uh no, this is not the way. So we're not experienced people, even though we do like to offer an experience from start to finish. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. But that's that's where that came from. That's why I went off on that. The actors are so good. You will experience all of their emotions. <laughs> yeah, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the other thing, though. I You you don't want to experience their emotions. I want to see them. Yeah. I know it's like, you know, that's the whole thing about theater. It's very voyeur. It is voyeuristic in nature. Like, I don't want to have to experience that. I want to see what it would look like to experience it. And then be like, I'm glad it ain't me. Yeah. Like that's just so much of it is I'm glad it ain't me. Or that's what that would be like. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Or yay, that's fun. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but not like I'm also experiencing this. You know, that's that's too much. That's too. I I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) This is where I'm at. This is where I'm at in my mind of being like, well, that's I I don't. It's it's a bit like undefinable um, an observational interactive zoo as you're watching a basically but i mean you're watching performers perform a story and you know you as the audience you have to sit there and the story's going to play out the way that it's going to play out yeah regardless but i don't know that experience would be the word that i would use to sell something not as a whole i would say come experience this classic tale like a show yeah. Like you're going to sit down and watch it and we're not going to be in your face. Yeah. Um, the other thing, like when I used to teach art, it was that I used to pose the question to my students of how do you define art? What is art? What is it defined by? And I would show them different things and they'd be like, oh, no, because of this. And they would have very distinct feelings about it. And in the end, every class would always come to the conclusion that, well, all of it is art. Because all of it made us feel a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. Like, right. So we can define what art is, I think, based off of what it makes us feel, even if we don't like it. I can still say it's art. But what makes an artist is what is killing me. Like, I don't understand. 
And it's just a question that I'll probably battle with forever. Another question. So, um, <laughs> moving on. We're gonna we're gonna go ahead and leave that there. There's no answer. Well, there is just, no answer. There's no answer. Well, I be like, if there was an answer, I wouldn't have posted. Well, we could we could been spin like, the wheels and beat the dead horse. All the metaphors, and about we still it. wouldn't be an artist. Yeah, because <laughs> we don't paint. Unless somebody was there watching us paint the dead horse. I don't know. Um, Which we paint. Yeah, there Technically, you go. we painted the stage. Um, so you were in the show. You directed the show. What are, you, from what you noticed now, because you've directed a show and you weren't in it. And now you've directed a show and you had to be in it. Because mm-hmm. um, that's how we define that. Had to be in it. It's just not like it's ever by choice. You get to be in it. Yeah, no, this is that you have yeah, to. Had to be in it, yeah. Um, so what are some of the pitfalls that you noticed in yourself? Like, I'm in the show, I'm directing it. Oof. Okay. Um, one, you. I'm going to say this from a directorial standpoint, insofar as um, not being able to see the scenes that I'm in. Yeah. And not being able to control certain things mm-hmm. was frightening and very hard. Yeah. Because there's no one there to direct to yeah, direct you or anyone there, else. Yeah, there's say. no one correcting staging issues. There's no one correcting these moments. And when you're on stage, I can say, hey, make sure you find a clear line of path so that the audience can see your beautiful performance. Mm-hmm. But when it looks like they're blocked on stage, well, it might not look like they're blocked that like they're not being able to be seen what I mean. Yeah. It looks like they're not being able to be seen on stage. Then they're not being able to, but they might be very well seen into the audience. And there are just like certain things where it's like, I'm, I'm so I, I can't go into the audience and watch the scene that I'm supposed to be in so that I can be more objective about it. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I would, I would say that like more self-centered is, Oh, I notice all my little habits <laughs> it's like, oh, all these little tricks that you do to mm-hmm. do certain things. Um, and you, in, in you just become hyper aware of your own actions. Yes. Like you're watching yourself more than you would because, you know, no one else is watching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's, you know, we talked about that third eye. Every scene that I'm in, I've got the third eye because I'm seeing the full objective of what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. And then when I think mm, this ain't working. How do we, we got to move the scene along. We got to, we got to pick this up in some kind of way. How can we do that? Yeah. You like feel like when you're on stage and you're the director that you're still the director, Mm -hmm. you're not the actor. So you're not like, it's almost like you're not a team player because you're like still watching. You're watching everyone's performance and trying to think, how do I fix this now from this side of things? Yeah. And you know, as an actor, well, okay. As a director, when you hand people um, a role, basically it ceases to be yours as the director. I become a coach at that point. I'm going to guide you in the the way that I see it. I'm going to guide you in the way that I want to tell the story ultimately, but I will never know as much about your character as you will as the actor. Right. And so it, it's really hard when I don't feel like I have the capacity to do that homework about the roles that I'm having to also fill in because I've got the global picture at large that I got to be worried about the whole time. And then, oh, crap, this isn't turning. Oh, crap, the sound isn't working. Oh, crap, this isn't changing. Oh, You're crap. Yeah. Yeah. So insofar as that, I, I think those kind of worries, I was like, oh, this is what Cody must experience 
<laughs> for a large majority of the shows that we get to do. Yeah. No, that that is yes, I I would agree with 100% of all of it. I mean, that it, that is definitely what happens. What I worry about is am am I like I'm I'm in this show because one we we needed someone to fill a role. Yeah. In order to make it happen. And or there was no other good option. Yeah. As in, in the way. It's like we could have put somebody in there, but that person would not have fit within the show. Mm-hmm. So those are like the moments where I find that I get put in necessarily where I would not want to be. Um, this is like the, the thing of if I got to choose the role, I would be playing a different role. <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> so I always think it's funny when people are like, oh, well, you just put yourself in the show every time. We're like, no, no, no. I'd be playing a very different role mm-hmm. if I if it was my choice. I'm like forcing myself into this thing so that the, you know, it's for the greater good. Yeah. It's it's less self-serving than it would seem on the outside. But um yeah, it is the thing that I worry about is is does this compromise my greater vision? Yeah. Because I'm in it. And ultimately the answer is yes. Mhm. But for the like good of the show, it is a struggle. It's like I need this needed to happen. So if this didn't happen, then the show didn't happen. So of course it had to happen. So it is it compromising? I, I don't know. It it feels more or less like I struggle with it on like an integrity side of it, where I'm like I I don't want the show to suffer mm-hmm. as far as like what I have in my mind and. And I feel like if I'm on stage and then I'm no longer an objective viewer, yeah, that is, you know, there to kind of herald that vision forward. And that was that was a big struggle that I had during Mockingbird because, you know, the opening I felt so good about because I wasn't on stage um, till like you know the page eighteen or whatever it started falling apart at page twenty. And then 20. it was like, oh god, I never leave. <laughs> um, yeah, where you're basically like directing everybody else and then you kind of forget about you, which is also a disservice to them because they don't get to really interact with you and yeah, the way. So I, I don't know. I, I think that it's definitely, oh, if it could ever be avoidable, that would be the, that was, that would be preferable. But, you know, like in film, they would just have a video village where they would just go back. Well, and yeah, they have playback. playback and then they would change it and then they would do it again and they would go back and they would. And then you have, you know, very talented and gifted DPs who will tell you, hey, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Um, I think that is the thing of we have necessarily been fortunate as far as when we're in the show is that there are other people that can be like objective for us Mm -hmm. in the moment that you just kind of have to trust. You just have to have the capacity to trust who you're working with and have somebody step out and check. But then you also have to think, too, it's like, well, this became our version of this show yeah and this is the lightning in a bottle performance of this show and if you're not in it then it doesn't become this show anymore but yeah you lose the objective eye to say hey look let's move this around over here so that it make more sense so that it has more tension so that you can do this you definitely have to be the person practicing what you preach too because everybody else is watching you when you're on stage and if you know you gave everybody an off book date and they didn't show up off book and you didn't show up off book. You can't say nothing. Nope. So you have to be like 
really on your game yep. the whole time. Even though that you're doing all the other things, you still have to be the one who knows. Yes. Um, <laughs> so definitely like, ooh, not preferred. It's, that, is, that is for sure. Um, so the other thing was, speaking of you know compromising, um, or not compromising, that's a different question. But how do you then, like, once you're done with a show, like, what do you do whenever you, like, take stock of the production? Mm. Like, how do you break that down and end it? So I'm very hypercritical of uh-huh. myself. And then I think about all the things that I could have done different. Yeah. And I don't mean that to do a disservice to the show or the performance like, in and of itself. Wish we could have, wish I yes. would have. So, so it's kind of, this is, mm, it's almost as if when you start thinking about the show and you start blocking and you start thinking about how you want to do the show, there is this crystalline perfect picture of what you want. Oh yeah. And then as you start to sort of build the show out, and you get to a space and it's like, oh, well, these things don't work. So then it starts to become, I, w- I don't want to use the word compromise in a negative way, but you have to make changes like, oh, we can't have these doors that open. Yeah. So you just adapt as it goes along. And then you have performers that are doing things that are not like the thing that in, that are in your mind. And you have like really gifted uh, and I'll use someone like Brian, for example, like if I can give Brian a little bit of direction in one way he does such a good job of taking that little bit of direction and running with it and expanding and expounding upon. And so you have this crystal version at the very beginning. And then as you sort of like move through all of those changes and, and adaptations, it becomes something else entirely. Yeah. When it starts to take on its own life. Yeah. And then, so it's, it's almost impossible not to think that (laughs) this is perfect because I had this vision <laughs> at the top of the show, right? Yeah. And then we had to make all of these changes. And if, you know, if budget were never the issue or if time were never the issue and if we could work on it eight hours a day for two weeks, mm-hmm. it would be something else entirely. But it's not because we have people that are volunteering to take on these roles too. Yeah. And they have other things. And kind of like you were talking about. I got to be on my A game the entire time. I got to have an answer for everything all the time. Mm -hmm. And then I think, did I fail? Where did I fail in all of those aspects? And it's hard to, I don't know, because I beat myself up about it. Separate those things. Yeah. I mean, I understand that. So it it ultimately. It's also the only way that you can grow as an artist. That kind of, that that's kind of the way that I view it is like, all right, so where was my success? Where was my failure? Yes. And where were the things that were close that didn't quite get there or what took a really long time to eventually get there that I, and what could I have done to make that a shorter path? Yes. So that we would not have, you know, taken so long to get here or, you know, like even to the point of me thinking about, you know, like breaking it down of rehearsal time and how did I use rehearsal time? And do I need to change that? Do I need to, Um, like I put this person in this role, they didn't really, they weren't able to get there where I thought they were going to. Mm -hmm. So the next time if they audition for a show, I need to make sure that I like remember this so that I know personally, like they had, you know, six weeks to put this together and they couldn't really get to the place. So they're not ready for a role like this in the future. And so I'll put them like, I'm like 
constantly yeah. like going through and taking stock in that way. And then I try to do the reverse and be like, all right, what were all the great things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going what to get the there surprises? too. Yeah. Like the thing is that, oh, these other things really worked. And then you have ultimately the thing that I always want. Um, even when I'm not the director, even when I'm just like kind of your right hand man as we do a show is we're all having a good time. Yeah. And everybody that was on stage seemed to have only the best time. Yeah. Like when you, the moment when you see the cast and you can almost remember it every time, I think when you're on the other side of the table, um, when you finally see them become a family yeah, and start taking care of each other. And it's like this very special moment. Like, I, th I think that you always notice it right from the beginning. Like this is when the turn happened. Yeah. Um, where before it was like, and, and I, th I think of that. And then I think of the first day when they come in for the read through and everybody's quiet. And I'm like, I always look around and I think this is the only time that it will be like this. Yeah. For the rest of the run of the show from now on, it will be desperately trying to get their attention because they just want to hang out with each other. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but bef until then, like you have that very first moment where they're all like, mm, I don't really like have anything to say to these people. And then after that, it's all over because in six weeks you become highly invested. And then the other, the other point of success to me is did the audience have a good, um, experience, experience? <laughs> did the audience have a good time watching the story that we were trying to tell? Mm -hmm. And um, especially with something like this and around Christmas time, there were just a lot of people that had come up and said, this is what I needed to see, or this is yeah. what I needed to hear. And then you think, okay, it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. Yeah. I mean, being able to, so I always weigh my failures and then I start to like come back around. I was like, that was a real, you know, this thing worked and this thing, but, yeah. but everybody had a really good time. So I think as long as you do it in that order, you're yeah. good. Just don't reverse that. <laughs> yeah. Don't start with the good and end with the bad. Like you gotta, but I mean, that's the only way that we grow and we get better is by taking stock and like understanding, oh, this is what I, this was, these were, this was my failures in a sense. Yeah. That I need to I change. could do better explaining this or I could do better, yes. you know, trying to paint the full picture. I could do better, you know, telling everybody what I want specifically. And yeah, the specificity stuff is huge. I learned that from you. It's like sometimes you have to tell people um, every step, every step, even if it seems obvious. Yeah, because it's not obvious to everybody. Exactly. Because um, it's up here to me in the yeah, brain. It's just like whenever you're holding the flashlight for your dad. <laughs> yeah. You have no clue what you're looking at. You think you're shining it on the right thing, and your dad thinks you're an idiot. Yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense. All right. When do you compromise your original vision? Once you realize the. Oh, I wrote this all down. Hold on, baby. Once you <laughs> realize the. Um, Realize the outlying factors won't allow it to happen. I was so close. To, <laughs> let's just say it. Yeah. Uh, whenever we, we build. You almost pretty much said it. Yeah. But whenever you just can't make the thing. Okay. So for example, we wanted to have these two turning houses. Uh -huh. We wanted to have these opening doors so that yeah. it kind of like made this big, huge set piece. And then it was 
we don't have the space to yeah, do that's that. not going to fit. So then we have to compromise in mm-hmm. that way. So it, it usually always boils down to that. But then how do you let it go? That's kind of like I think about it a lot once I have an original idea. And I think about that idea so much, even whenever it doesn't work and we're, we've adapted it and we've moved on. And I still like always have this lingering thing that's like, but if it would have worked. So I don't necessarily dwell on that per se. If like this can't work in this story, I know I have that idea in my back pocket somewhere else. And a lot of times when you start to, for example, like write, a story. Okay, well, this doesn't work in this, but I have this other idea over here and I could use that there. So like, it's all about this doesn't work here, but we came up with something that was totally different. Well, for example, um, Little Women, you had this amazing idea to begin with and then we changed it to this other thing that totally worked for the space. Yeah. And and I know that you still have that idea in your back pocket somewhere. Except I don't remember that. I don't remember that we won't say it on <laughs> mic. So that, oh, wait, no, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. your very first I thing. I still have yet to figure out how to use that. Because you were like, I remember I you telling me. I use it everything. I was like, mowing the grass, had this idea, and I was bawling my eyes out. It's true, yeah, no, I, now I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I thought you were talking about set design. I was like, I did with the set that I, thought I wanted to do, I thought. No, 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 it's not about the set. It's not just um, about set design either. It's about yeah. also when you see someone doing something in a role too, you think, Oh, hang on. Let me lean into what they're really good at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I just hang on to it a whole lot more. I don't have that ability to let go, except for the fact that I didn't remember that. Um, <laughs> I just hang on to it till I forget. Yeah. <laughs> Enough time has passed. Well, then let me ask a reverse question there. When you're coming up with ideas for a show, and you have this one idea, like you wanted to set a, a show kind of like designed around this, but then you think about it a little longer and it changes to something else. Mm-hmm. Like, do you hold on to that first thing for so long that you're just like digging your heels into the ground or do you let it morph I mean, into I the... Like I kind of did that with Little Women, honestly, when I was doing like, you know, the set design for that. I was, I had this idea of what I thought it had to be. And I was really hanging on to that and it was miserable. And then I finally just let it all go and was like, well, what if it just doesn't exist in any sort of world? And I just create what I think is cool. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what I did. I was like, this is kind of what I see and what I would love to see. And so that's kind of what we ended up building. And I do think it's funny because people talk about that set and I'm like, it was really just a box. Yeah, (laughs) it was in all honesty, like the easiest set. As far as like most complicated sets, honestly, that we've done is probably Christmas Carol. This oh, for time. sure. 10,000%. The most involved um, in every aspect. I mean, it was probably the most movement of a set we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, the you know, because those two houses spun to reveal an interior and had an exterior. Which, oh, I don't know if I'll ever do that again. No. I've got to find a simpler way. I was like, oh, <laughs> it was really cool. It was really cool. But I'm good. I don't need to do that again. Um, but it's done. That's that's done. But, I mean, hanging on to an original idea so much that it cripples you to be able to move forward, that's probably what I learned from Little Women. Like, you don't want to do that. But, you know, like actually sitting down to design something or have a vision for a show is interesting. I mean, I I pretty much 
as far as my process goes with that is I try to just sit down in the most neutral way possible and just read the show and think like that's it. And it feels like it should be so much more, but it's more or less like, all right, what is, what is the thing that is popping out to me most? Like what is the scene that pops out to me most? What is the biggest overarching feeling that I felt through all of this? And then actually thinking about that and looking at it and thinking, how do I now create a world around those things that I felt the most Yeah, that convey that feeling? And that would be hopefully translated to the audience, you know? Um, and also is like functional and kind of has some elements of surprise or whatever. Like I remember when I was doing a production of Hamlet and David Bell directed it and he had, he got hung up on, um, you know, Hamlet is, is it's, it's Danish. Mm -hmm. And so he got hung up on, um, the, them doing these cabinets. Um, apparently there's this like Danish cupboard Mm -hmm. and it's basically a, a wooden box that has these things built in where you like press on them and, and it reveals hidden, rooms or cabinets or like little push outs. Yeah. But it looks like completely solid. And so he got, he got like really hung up on that. So he made this, you know, this is like cabinet from Denmark, essentially like this giant cabinet on stage and everything, but it worked so well for Hamlet because it was all about what you don't see mm-hmm. happening behind. And so you wouldn't expect it, but you know, like this wall would all of a sudden push upstage and then it would split in half and something else would slide out Yeah, and you would have Claudius's room and then that would go away and something would come out from the stage right side, but it was all in this square box and it worked so well, but it was like, you know, where did that come from? Yeah. (laughs) Just, just thinking about the show and secrets and being like, well, you know, in Denmark, they've got these cabinets, (laughs) but but then you explode that and you make that cabinet huge and you put it on stage, but it worked awesomely. So it's, I guess just knowing that anything is possible. That was kind of the thing with Christmas Carol. It was like, all right, anything is possible. How do we make this happen? And this is what the, the original thing looks like. And this is what we would want and how it would work. And if the ceiling was a little higher, it would have worked. Oh yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it just it didn't work. Um, but then, and then, of course, scaling that back to actually make it practical and useful for the story, because I guess that would be the other problem of digging your heels in and being like, "No, this is what we designed. This is what we're doing. This is what I want." Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't work, so it was pointless yeah. because it didn't serve the story. I guess that's kind of how you can let go of those original ideas and move on, is knowing that in the end, the idea didn't serve the story. Yeah, kind of in the same way that you had this crystal vision. Yeah. But that wasn't, you know, the the theater gods didn't deliver those people to you and didn't deliver that space to you. So, and budget. And budget to you. So those little things get ticked away. So it's like, where can I then achieve those things? And, you know, I don't know. I guess. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's uh, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that Hamlet was really cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Danish so, closets. That's what we're doing for the next show. Cabinet.
cabinets, man. It's not a closet. Ca- cabinets, yeah. It's like a bread box or something. I don't know. <laughs> I do feel like I remember them saying, like, you know, like a Danish bread box. Like yeah. In the original, like, scene me- scenic design meeting and that we were all sitting in and being like, what in the world? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it was so cool. Um, did you know that Charles Dickens always wanted to be an actor? That's interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, he toured around... Christmas Carol in the United States performing his own version of a Christmas Carol. Interesting. So he actually adapted. And when you think about it, he adapted the very first ever play version of his own novel and did his own one man show of it, essentially where he would go and not just read the book. He would actually perform it. Oof. And Oof. I feel like, and I might be lying, <laughs> but it, feels like it's in my brain so it has to be true but i feel like there was something about him just being wasted and drinking a lot of champagne like he was like really into champagne i think and drank a lot of it while he was on these tours but and like his wife being really mad that he was constantly leaving because he did a couple of tours in the united states and mark twain i was about to say that feels more like mark twain well no mark twain saw it Mm. and i feel like there's also another story in there about Mark Twain being inspired then to become a writer because of Charles Dickens. Hmm. So look at that. He also didn't grow a beard till he was 40. These are other little information. So there's still hope for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if it was by choice or if it was like, I can't grow a beard. And then he turned 40. Why'd you have to add the voice? I'm just, Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm a real boy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Anyway, those are just some things for you. I have one last thing. Okay. And we don't really have a whole lot of time to delve super far into it. But I was thinking while I was sitting here and you were playing around with your little toys over there. um, (laughs) (laughs) Letting the audience's mind wonder. um, why, Why does it seem like there are fewer people now that know classical texts that you know i almost said because we're not sort of making people read those in school but then i also think well how do i know this and i am the same age or younger than many of the people that are saying these things Uh and i think we have such a large outreach of the information like we live in the information age and now it is so easy to sort of access yeah and no one accesses it for anything other than basically social media right and i think that as a result of us having answers immediately to us that we're not looking for them yeah we're not looking for them anymore and so we're not we're not really searching for those classical texts to inform us in the same way that like say a Christmas Carol is all about second chances and hope. Yeah. And you know, there's so many film versions of this and there are so many like, you know, just crazy amount of adaptations and it's performed all the time. I mean, it is performed every year all over the place. I mean, there are companies that do this every single year 
And the amount of people that were like, oh, I didn't even know that. Like, what is this is the thing with the kid with the BB gun? No. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is not what Christmas Carol, like, Christmas Carol is the original Christmas story. Like, it's there, I just don't understand. And so I find it very interesting because it seems so obvious to me. Like, how do you not know what this is? And I don't, I don't. But I would argue that starting probably in the 70s and 80s, that there was less of an emphasis on touching older texts. You're saying in the 70s and 80s there was less? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think that people were being... Um, I'll challenge that. In the 70s, the BBC recorded every version they could of Shakespeare's plays and put okay. them to film. Individually, they're not asking kids <laughs> to read. Yeah, I just know that because of all the... Awesome yeah. hairstyles in and then all of the Shakespeare movies. You have, I think, a large cultural shift too, in insofar as moving towards, well, like television. Yeah, you like people look, don't read as much, but it's also like that's you started where I'm getting putting those up. in every house. You started putting those in every room in every house. Yeah, and so now I think there's so many opportunities for you to watch Christmas Carol. You can watch it everywhere. In your oh no, no, no! I, I like there is no excuse for having never at minimally seen the Muppets Christmas Carol. That's what I'm saying, or just even knowing Mick, that Mickey's it exists. Even. Like I just the fact that like maybe you didn't watch it, but didn't doesn't know it exists. I mean, like To just, Kill a Mockingbird made sense to me because there was one movie made in the 50s. Yeah, and it stopped being required because it was banned for a while. Exactly, and, but. When it comes to this, it's just very odd to me. <laughs> so I just, yeah, it is something that's kind of weighing on me of like, what, what is the, what is the reason? Like what has happened that those kinds of things have started falling away that people seem less informed. I think it's easier. The first go-to thing for me too is also like, well, it's just because of our phones. Well, so I, I, I will challenge that because I, I just had another thought. I wonder if it's so culturally inundated that we know Scrooge, ghosts, and he's rich and yeah. greedy. And so, like, we never feel like we need to know that story because we got the gist. Yeah, but people don't even know that. Yeah, I, I understand that. <laughs> but I think that a lot of I times understand. people check out because it's like, oh, I already had that information yeah, yeah. and I've logged it. And then when they see the story for the first time, they go, oh, I didn't realize that there was more to this. Mm. Well, I'll tell you this. There's more to this story. And we're going to figure it out, kid. We're going to figure it out. We're going to go out there. We're going to figure out. We're going to find the clues. We're going to get the clue. And we're going to put those clues in a little box. We're going to rally them around. And we're going to pull out the clue. And we're going to figure it out. Let's we'll do that today. next time. <laughs> <laughs> But do you have a joke to end it on? Yeah. Um, what did Santa Claus say to his reindeer? I have no clue. Said this podcast is over. They were very confused, but it was time to go. Well, that's Cody. That was Christoph Hardmother.